Well, happy Mother's Day to everyone that's visiting. What I like to do right now is ask all the guys to stand up. All the guys, instead of asking our moms to stand up. And we just want to uh, say we love you and we appreciate you uh, for being our moms and our wives. So give your moms or wives a big hand this morning, guys, if you will. All right. You may be seated, ladies, for the guys that didn't look enthusiastic when they clapped. You don't have to cook them dinner for this next year. All right. Guys, I hope you just passed the test because I don't think some of you are going to do too good. All right, listen. Um, over here on my right in these two tubs, if you are an active member of Retta, and last week you didn't come up and get your letter, uh, try to remember to do that today. Uh, that would be uh, really good. And Brandy, Brandy's here. Do we still have strawberries left over? Okay. Guys, if you woke up this morning and just now realized today is Mother's Day, then uh, we're going to help save your life. If you are interested, they have chocolate-covered strawberries. And after the service, you just find Brandy. She'll be over here, right over there, and she will get you all hooked up, all right? Uh, it's all the money is going to a children's camp uh, to help give scholarships to uh, the youngins, and uh, there you go. Also, on this Mother's Day, I just, I don't know when I'll see her again, my old boss, Karen Gorman, I'm going to have to embarrass her because she she just treated me terrible back in the day. Now, Karen is the funnest boss I've ever had since I've been in Texas, next to Bill Bastine. Uh, she and her husband is here today, so I'm glad that, uh, that they came out. Well, how many of you guys have big plans today for your moms? Two of you. Good. Okay. We love our moms. Chris, you got something going for your mom today? Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Well, there was a man, and he was accompanied by his friend who went to his house with his, with his friend for dinner, and he was impressed by the way that his friend engaged uh, his wife. Uh, he asked his wife how her day went, and he complimented uh, his wife on how pretty she looked. And then after they embraced, they ate dinner, and after they ate, the husband complimented to his wife, and he thanked her for the meal and told her how good of a job uh, that she did in, in making it. When he and his friend went into another room after they ate dinner, the visitor, his friend, asked him and said, Why do you treat your wife so well? And his answer was, Well, because she deserves it. She's my wife, and I, and I love my wife. And, and when I support her by encouraging her, it makes our whole life better, and it's a happier house. There's just no other way to go. So that guy got to thinking about that and thought, man, I don't do that too good. So when he went home, he found his wife. And he said, uh, sweetheart, I just want you to know you look wonderful. And then when he said that, it's like a shot of adrenaline just went through him, and he got even more excited. And he said, and you know something? I am the luckiest person in this whole world just to be married to you. And immediately his wife burst into crying. He's sitting there, and he's figuring out, trying to think, what did I do? What did I do? So finally he just asked her. He said, what did I do? What did I say? And she said, Billy came home from school today, got in another fight, the refrigerator broke, and everything in it is spoiled and no good, and now you come home drunk. <laughs> now, it is Mother's Day all over the world today, and preachers this morning are going to be going to Proverbs chapter 31. And I will be honest with you, this week for two days, I was doing that. But after two days of being in that chapter, it just wasn't the direction for us today. 
And I think you're going to find out why. Proverbs 31 is known as the Proverbs 31 lady. Because in verses 10 through 31, it has everything to do with a virtuous wife. That's what it'll say in your Bible. Now, when you look at Proverbs chapter 31, you're going to discover that this lady is quite a lady. Uh, this Wonder Woman, she gets up at dawn, and she stays busy until the early hours of the morning. Uh, we have developed a mental image of her as well. She has the looks of a movie star, the domestic abilities of a master chef. She has the stamina of a world-class athlete and the intellect of a professor with a Ph.D., the tenacity of a political operative, and the wisdom of a godly missionary with the sensitivity of Mother Teresa and the business sense of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, just like the lady who was having a rough day and the joke that I told you uh, just a few seconds ago, it's no wonder to me that many mothers all across the world are going to leave church service this morning having heard a message on what it means to be a Proverbs 31, and they're going to be defeated. Because there is no one that can live up to the standard of what we read in Proverbs 31. It's impossible. Now, there's a lot of ladies here. You come very close, 100% closer than any of us guys, and I'm not just saying that to be nice. But that chapter um, is something that we should strive for but it's not something that is attainable with all the things mentioned see i think that the virtuous wife and the standards for a virtuous wife are the same standards i think that we need to apply to every woman that is here today whether you are single or whether you are married the bible wants us wants uh all the ladies to be virtuous women, not just based on the fact if you're a mom. Here's a few character traits. You're going to see this up on the screen of what we do read in that Proverbs 31 chapter. Uh, verse 11, she's trustworthy. She's a hard worker. She's resourceful. She makes good use of her time. She's very good with money. She's generous. She thinks ahead. And of course... She's very wise. Now, this is quite an amazing, overwhelming list. Someone once said about this chapter, and this is really good, quote, One of the most important things to remember regarding Proverbs 31 is, not, is that this chapter is not a prescription for us to fulfill, but it is a testimony of how God shapes our lives. Amen? Amen. There's not one woman, not one woman in the Bible who was perfect. Not one. Rahab and Mary Magdalene, two very well-known uh, people, very famous, very famous in the Bible. Well, they were prostitutes. Ruth was a widow from a pagan nation. Uh, the woman at the well was divorced five times. Mary was too young, Elizabeth was too old, and the list goes on. Can any of us in this room honestly live up to the lady that we read in Proverbs 31? She is certainly a worthy goal to aim for, but we are all, all of us in this room, we are all in a process right now in life, spiritually speaking, we're all in a process. You're going in one of two directions. And that's the reality of the truth today. And if it's the church's intent to reach our city for Christ, we must begin to deal with men and women where they are, where they are, and not simply where we should be. Proverbs 31 is where we should be. But I want us to take a look this morning at where we're at, where we are. And I believe that the Lord wants to speak to every single woman here today. 
Every single woman in this room, perhaps it's to the woman here today who has never born children, or the one who aborted her child in the past. Maybe it's the mother who birthed a child and loved that child so much that she gave uh, that child up for adoption because of her situation, her given situation in her life. Today's Mother's Day message is for all the ladies in whatever need that you find yourself to be in today. Have you considered that while the woman in Proverbs 31 is a worthy example to emulate, she is not among those who is listed in the lineage of Jesus? And uh, there are two women, though, who are, and we're going to take a look at them. Our scripture reading for today is just one verse. You're going to find it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And it simply says this. And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. And to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. And to Obed, Jesse. That's it. That's, that's the verse for today. So what I want to ask you this morning is this. In Matthew chapter 1, we read about the family lineage that traces all of its uh, ancestors all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ. So when you look back at his ancestry tree, if you will, you're going to see all these names. And then you see these two ladies. And they're printed right there in our context today. Now, who are these two ladies? You would think, because of where they are located, that they are a who's who to be mentioned in the family line that Jesus came from, wouldn't you? I mean, you would think these are the rock stars of that day, but they're not. One is Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. She was the madam who ran the house of ill repute in that ancient town that is located in the Jordan Valley. The other mother listed is Ruth. Who is Ruth? Ruth, it was that godless Moabite. She was raised in a heathen environment, worshiping pagan idols and gods. But something wonderful happened to each of these two mothers and their experience with the real, living, breathing God, the one that we know because of Jesus Christ, uh, caused them to be converted into two of the most godliest mothers that we find in our scriptures today. Rahab and Ruth were mothers who overcame their circumstances. And like many modern mothers here today, they were torn between work and childcare. Many mothers are divorced today. Others may be remarried, and they're dealing with the incredible adjustments of the struggle of divided loyalties. Others live with all sorts of unspo uh, unspoken heartaches uh, in the home, and they're just trying to make the best of difficult situations. We have a lot of people in a lot of different journeys covering a lot of different bases with a lot of things coming in at one time. Rahab. Rahab is listed here in the genealogy of Jesus to show us, to show all of us here today, that there is hope for those who have been engaged in sinful pleasures. Ruth joins her in this list to show that there is hope for those who have been engaged with society pressures. Both of these women are remembered forever as virtuous women. So let's take a look at them and learn from them on Mother's Day. The first point in your bulletin this morning, Rahab shows us how we can overcome sinful pleasures. Who is the mother named Rahab listed here in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus? Her story is told in the second and the sixth chapters uh, in the book of Joshua. Here we find a lady with a reputation that was far from spotless. 
She was quite popular with the men who stopped in their caravans while journeying through the oasis city of Jericho. Everyone knew where her house was located. The local kids would point at her house as they would pass by. Five or six times, five, excuse me, five of the six times that Rahab is mentioned in the Bible, did you know the name prostitute or harlot is attached to her name? Think about that. That's, that's her identity. Aren't we so easy to also put the labels on people through the things that they've either purposely gone through or not even purposely gone through in their life? You know we are. Our society uh, uh, attacks nothing is sacred. And five of the six times you see her name in your Bible, it'll be Rahab the harlot. Uh, It was just glued to her. When her family members are listed in Joshua uh, 2.13, there is no mention of a husband or of children. She was a lady who was involved in sinful pleasures. When the Israelites sent spies into her city, as they were about to begin the conquest of Canaan, uh, the Bible says that she took them in. Interestingly, she hadn't even heard uh, what they had done for God during their march to the promised land, nor how well trained the armies of the Israelites had become. She had no idea. She had heard things, but she didn't know details. What struck her heart was what the living God had done for them and through them. She becomes a beautiful example of how one person can overcome their sinful pleasures to become a godly mother. And I want to say this too, because if I don't, I will forget. It is not a good beginning that counts in life as much as it is in having a good ending. Amen? Now think about that. How many of y'all would rather have a better ending than a good beginning? If you're not raising your hand, your arm is broke. (laughs) All of us don't get it right. There's not a single person in this room that gets it right, does it right, all the time. It It just doesn't happen. And you can look back in your life and you can look at the person of who you were and just follow it on your face and praise God that you're not that person any, anymore. It's not a good beginning that counts. It's, it's, having, it's having a good ending. This lady, she had heard the stories of what was happening with the Israelites. And she's talking to the two spies that went in. And she, as she's talking, she says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The terror of you and your people have fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land, we are all faint-hearted because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Siho and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We heard about that. It was in all the papers. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, I know He is God. He is God in heaven above and on earth below. And you'll read that in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Here are the words spoken by one who now has a repentant heart. Why? What does she say about God? For he is God in heaven above. He is God. Not the ones that we worship. I know that He is God and earth beneath. Now, there's an interesting insight that is found a few verses later in Joshua chapter 2. 
she took the spies up on her roof and hid them under, quote, the stalks of flax which she had laid in order next to each other on the roof. Now, why was there flax on this woman's uh, roof neatly and orderly laid out? In the ancient world, flax was gathered by those who were industrious. She was not industrious, but she has all of these flax on top of her house. They were drying out and they were used and they were in the process of being used for weaving. The presence of such a large quantity uh, of this flax on her rooftop may well indicate that she had experienced a change of vocation. Not only did this woman of Jericho repent, but there is good evidence that she placed her faith in the living God as well. When the spies went on their way with a promise to return, they told her to hang a scarlet thread out the window of her home so that when they came upon uh, her to conquer the city, her home and everyone inside of her home would be spared. It was their way of telling her that we are coming. And we are going to take over this wicked city. It's going to happen. But because you hid us on your rooftop, the Lord wants to provide for you and thus do this and this so that when we come into your city, the army will be told the house that has the scarlet thread hanging outside of its door is not to be touched. And that's exactly what happened. When Ahab said yes to God and by faith hung that scarlet cord out her window, an amazing thing happened. See, God knew about a coming cross that was going to come more than a couple thousand years later that she was unaware of. The blood that was shed on that cross before the foundation of the world, God saw that cross and the salvation that it offers to everyone and looked down on her in faith and saved her by his own blood. And as a celebration of her faith, she hung that scarlet thread outside of her window so that when judgment came and the walls came tumbling down, there would be an obvious part of that wall that judgment could not touch because of that scarlet thread. Here is a beautiful picture of salvation tucked away in the Old Testament. And it applies to this lady that we know as Rahab. Rahab is listed in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Most of all the verses there take up almost the whole chapter. And right there is Rahab. And Rahab is there to show posterity and that there is hope for anyone that will place their trust in Jesus. Whatever happened to Rahab? Did she ever find a husband? Did she ever... She lived among the Israelites, and she fell in love with a prince by the name of Salmon. God blessed their union with a son, and his name was Boaz, who became the kinsman redeemer of Israel. This former harlot of Jericho became the mother of Boaz, the lord of the harvest, who became the husband of Ruth. Now think about all that. Look at Rahab. She is remembered today on this Mother's Day to remind all of us that there is hope for those who have once lived in sinful pleasures of various types. And today, she lives on in history and she lives on in heaven as a good and godly mother who imparted these same qualities to her family. Sinful pleasures. The second point in our message today, we will see that just as uh, Rahab can show us we can overcome those sinful pleasures, Ruth shows us how we can overcome societal pressures. 
Who was the other mother listed in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, in the lineage of Jesus? Her name is Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Her obstacle was not of sinful pleasures, but of societal pressures. She was raised in a godless home, like many in the Western world that we live in today. She was raised in a pagan, anti-God, inside of an anti-God society and culture. All the influences of her childhood were against her coming to find out who is God. It was against her to find out what is the real truth. Who is the real truth? Who is the real God? They were against her. She was a member of a race that actually was begun in incest. You find that in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 37. The Bible says, Lot slept with his own daughter, and she bore a son named Moab. The Moabites did not worship the Lord God. They worshipped the pagan god, Chemosh. They offered human sacrifices to Chemosh. They were a degenerate people who resorted to all types of licentious behavior. Now, I have noticed in my life, and I know that most of you will agree with me when I say this, that of all the strongholds, the religion of our childhood is the most difficult to break, isn't it? I mean, if you were taught wrong, I'm not saying you were purposely taught wrong, but if your parents who meant well, but for whatever reason taught you bad theology, and that is all you know, that's going to be the hardest part for you to shake as you grow older. Amen? That is so true. I mentioned just last week my grandparents, my grandma and grandpa Lowe. Uh, they're both in heaven now, but they were members of the Holiness Church. Now back home in Missouri... They lived in Ritchie, Missouri. The population was 62, counting my grandma and grandpa. And they didn't have a TV. So when you went to Harold and Cleveland Lowe's house, you spent a lot of time talking because there wasn't anything else going on in that town of Ritchie. So you would hear all about the Lord, and she loved Jesus. But because my grandmother had such a bad experience with church people, and I said this, and I, I know it sounds funny, and I said this last week, and I, I'm not just saying it to be funny, it's just, that's just how she thought. In her mind, the only people that were going to make it to glory was people of the Holiness Church and one Southern Baptist, my grandson, Ed Lowe. Because when I would be at Grandma's house... I'm spending 8 to 12 hours just talking to Jesus about God and Jesus and everything else that's in the book. And it took that amount of time for my grandmother to see my heart. We don't have that much time anymore to just sit down and talk to our family members about spiritual things. Not like that. Because we got things to do. We got people to see. And we got work. And we got all this stuff. But when I would be there... It would take that much time for her to see that I wasn't a Christian just because I came down at the end of a church service because I would hear this all the time from her. And I didn't just go up to the pastor and shake his hand and fill out a card that says, yes, I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden, poof, I'm a Christian. She would know it didn't happen like that with me because I would tell her what Jesus did in my life. And it was real. And guess what? It wasn't in her church. Who would thought? And I could tell her this, and she would know it. And I don't know if it was just because of old age or because uh, she needed the reaffirmation. I really don't know, but we'd go to bed, and that next day we'd wake up, and I'd have to do it all over again because she would think, I want my grandson to be in heaven, but he's not going. He's a Baptist. 
the hardest ones to shake are the ones when you've been taught something and told something when you were little, and that's all you know, and then you grow up and you begin to discover because you choose to get into maybe the Bible yourself and not what your denomination is printing out and all of its letters and all of its doctrines and all of its stuff all the time. You begin to see, now wait a minute, I don't know about this or that. But we, we so easily rely on churches to do the reading for us, don't we? We so much rely on other people doing the spiritual work and we'll show up and we'll absorb it but we don't do it ourselves. And that's the problem. Because when you do that, not knowing, you become dependent on others to help you do what you need to be doing yourself. And so the biggest problem isn't necessarily the bad theology that's being given out. Want to know what the biggest problem is? If you're raising children... You're instilling within your children bad theology. And then as they get older, guess what? When they don't start measuring up to the standard that you have told them they need to have, what do they do? I'll tell you what they do. They do what my dad did. You get out of house and you get married as quickly as possible to get away. Because who wants to feel like a failure all the time? He's never going to match up to perfection. Who does, right? And so you're going to turn to anything else that will help to take off that edge in your life because you're just not enjoying life. The worst part about getting rid of the stuff that you were taught and told when you were little, when you're developing, is when you get the bad stuff, even though you know it's bad, you can never shake it and get out. Why? Because you are constantly pulled back in. Not to want to hurt your ears, but danged if you do and danged if you don't. It's just it's, it's that overly strict, misinformed believer is now imparting impossible tasks into the lives of of the most precious commodity, and that's their children. And then they have to grow up in life and try to figure out, how can I know God? How can I have peace? My dad struggled with that his whole life. Eight years ago or so, my dad found Jesus. I mean, he really got saved. He didn't just become a Christian. He became a Christian. Neon lights, all caps. He gets up in the morning at a ridiculous time at 4 o'clock. Um, and he has his quiet time today. He does it every day. And he'll get up and he'll talk to me. I think I've been up at four one time in my whole life. It's insane to hear my dad now say the name of Jesus and not when he's angry is the most awesome thing in this, this side of heaven. And my dad would tell me, you know what, the one word that really troubled him and it's the word that he heard his whole life sanctification you got to get yourself sanctified well i got news for you you can't jesus does the sanctification uh, sanctifying within a person's life it's jesus that does it if i can go out and do it then why do i need jesus i can't i am a sinner I am completely helpless and hopeless without Jesus. Now, my grandmother knew that, but to them, because of the belief you can fall from grace, meaning you can lose your salvation, you have to really keep yourself in line because you certainly don't want to cross that line, and then all of a sudden you've got to go out and get saved again. What a terrible, terrible way to live life. And it always escaped my grandmother's notice as well that if I have to work to do something good to keep my salvation, then guess what? I'm trying to keep my salvation by what? My good works. And the Bible makes it very clear. It is not by good works. It is by grace through faith in Christ. Not of good works, unless anyone should boast about it. And that was the problem. The biggest problem that, that they had, she never understood 
the fullness of what it means to experience grace. I mean, grace. Just breathe a little. God's not up there ready to just crack us over the side of the head because we, we mess up or because some of us are so are professional in messing up. He's not ready to, to knock you out over it. He's ready to love on you. He's, he's ready to bring you in. He is ready to show you there is a lot better way that we're going to do this than what you think, than what you're thinking. You know, salvation is not about being a member of a particular denomination. In heaven, there are no denominational areas that we're going to go to. Now, Methodists are going to be over here. Lutherans are going to be over there. Southern Baptists, they're going to be in this section here. Charismatics, they still scare me. They're going to be in the back. There are no areas in heaven. In God's house, there are no denominations. When we go to heaven, we're going to be with Jesus. And we're going to be with one another. And it's going to be exciting. Salvation is not achieved by what church you go to, but who you go to. Amen? That's amen right there. And that's Jesus. How you are raised spiritually determines much of your spiritual outlook today. And that can be a blessing or that can be a curse depending on your situation. Now keep this in mind too. And all this is underneath the umbrella of Ruth because this is all that she had to deal with. When Satan comes against those in sinful pleasures like Rahab, he does it with accusations, condemnation. And he throws every line that there is until you start believing it yourself. But he does it with accusations. To those who are caught up in societal pressures like Ruth, he will not come at you with accusations. He'll come at you with obligations. Here's what I mean. Satan will say stuff just like, just who do you think you are that you can leave? After all that your family has done for you, you need to stay right where you're at. I mean, do you know the disappointment you're going to bring and the shame you're going to bring on your family if you, God forbid, should leave? I've had people within our church whose family, I won't say the names of the church because I'm not here to bash other church. We have our own problems. But if you didn't go to their church, you're not going to go to heaven. If you don't get dunked in the water, you're not going to go to heaven. Well, the thief never got dunked in the water. Not a single one person in the Old Testament ever got dunked in the water. And they're in glory. So there's kind of something not connecting there. But Satan will go to those with the society uh, pressures, and he will just throw out, you are obligated to stay right where you are. That's what Satan will do. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, would come to us, and this is what Jesus would say. Pursue truth. I've written it for you. It's in this book. It's called the Bible. Open it up and start reading my love letter that I made sure you got a copy of. That's what Jesus would say. Jesus would come at you and say, I want you to know truth. Ask questions. Ask questions. The dumbest question is if you have to think, should I ask this question? Those are the dumb ones. Ask, talk, get information, but mostly get in the Word. Ruth is listed here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as a godly mother to show us all that there is hope for those with societal pressures and a sense of false obligations that come about to the religion of our childhood. Now, how did Ruth become an overcomer? She saw in her mother-in-law, Naomi, she, she noticed the repentance, the change in her mother-in-law's life. And she set her, her sights on going back to Bethlehem away from Moab. 
Ruth began to cling to her with these words. And you find this. It's a, it's a real famous verse. You see it in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth is talking to her mother-in-law, and she is saying, well, it is going to be her mother-in-law. She says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back. I don't want to go back to Moab. I want to go with you from following after you. Or wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God when I die. And I want to be buried where you're going to be buried. Now, if you want to witness an Old Testament conversion, there it is right there. Ruth obtained more virtue than anything that you're ever going to find in Proverbs 31. And if you want to find virtue, the five quick points in your bulletin, Ruth found a new determination. What does she say? Entreat me not to leave you. All influences were against her. The religion of her childhood was against her. Uh, Orpah's example, that was her sister, was against her. She went back to Moab. All the people of her city was against her. Naomi's insistence that she even stay, go on back to Moab, was even against Ruth. Because Naomi attempted to tell her to go on back home. And she said, no, I want to come with you. She had a new determination, too. Ruth found a new direction. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Ruth was determined that following the God of Naomi would bring about a new direction in life. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. She was saying that she was going to trust the Lord and Naomi for her basic needs. Number three, she not only had a new determination, a new direction, but she had a new desire now. Your people are going to be my people. Ruth knew that if she took the God of the Bible to be her God, then she would take his people as hers as well. It did not take me long when I became a believer, when I was 19 years old, to recognize I needed a new set of company in my life. And I went after it. And so did Ruth. And then Ruth found a new devotion. What did she say? She said, your God is going to be my God. Now, here's something I want you to think about. This, will, this is one of those mind-blowing things. Now, think about this. The interesting thing about Naomi's God to Ruth, to Ruth, was that he was a God of suffering, and he was a God of great sorrow. That's all Ruth knew. Why? Because Naomi's husband had died, and then she had a son, and he died. And she had another son, and he died. So why in the world, why in the world would Ruth want to follow that kind of God? And by the way, God is not a God of suffering and sorrow. That is not our God. I believe the reason why Ruth wanted to cling to Naomi and her God, it was because Ruth observed Naomi's witness. She was watching what motivated Naomi. She saw within Naomi the very thing that gave her purpose in life. And I believe that that deep witness that she saw being lived out in Naomi was something that made her say, I want some of that. And then the fifth point, uh, she found a new dedication. That is why when she told Naomi, where you die, I will die, what Naomi was saying was, what I'm going to do right here, right now, this is for life. I mean, I'm, I'm going all in on this deal right here with you today. What happened to this former godless Moabite woman? Did she find a husband? Oh yeah, she did. Did she become a godly mother? Did she ever? Matthew 1.5 tells us the story. She returned to Bethlehem with Naomi. She married Boaz, the lord of the harvest. And you remember Boaz. He was the son of Rahab. Boaz and Ruth had a son whose name was Obed. 
who had a son whose name was Jesse. Who had a son whose name was David. King David, the shepherd and the great psalmist of the Bible. I've heard it said before that behind every great and successful husband is a very discouraged mother-in-law. I'm joking, I think. But not so, not so with Naomi. No more fitting a tribute has ever been paid to a wife than when Ruth's husband said, and I quote, you find this in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. Her husband said this, Look at Ruth. Look at my wife. She stands there. Um, the actual verse is when he says, All the people of my town may know, need to know, that you are a virtuous woman. That's what he said. I want the whole city to know how much virtue my wife has. It was a bragging show and tell of his wife, Ruth 3.11. She stands in the lineage of Jesus to show us that no matter what our past is, we can all become virtuous through Jesus Christ. Yes, you may find a subheading in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31 in your Bible, and it will say descriptions of a virtuous wife or woman. And indeed, these characteristics, they are virtuous, but they are a goal to strive for. They're a list. It's like a target you want to aim for. That's what Proverbs 31 is. So, no Proverbs 31 today? No problem. We're going to get into what it really means to have virtue with a guy named Jesus, and he's more than a guy. He is a God. He came to earth and he lived the, the life that we live, yet he did it without sin. He is the God man. The Bible says that after he rose from the grave and he went back up into heaven, he left us with, a, with an agenda of what we're supposed to do with the message of what he did by dying on the cross, paying for our sins, so that if anyone were to turn to him, they could find virtue. Why? Because they would be forgiven. They would be completely made brand new. You know, if Jesus were here today on this Mother's Day speaking to us, there is no question in my mind that he would be speaking to every single woman in this room, regardless of your situation in the past or what's going on right now, in order to impart and to impute his righteousness to all who would believe so that maybe it could be said about you too all the people in this big huge exploding town of rendon would know that you are a virtuous woman to all the women here today the good news is in knowing that you can become a virtuous woman by going to the cross accepting christ for what he did for you repenting and choosing to surrender to follow him you can do that it is not common in the ancient world to list women in the genealogy tree in fact in the entire listing alone of those in that tree almost consuming the entire chapter of matthew chapter one only four women are mentioned one might think that they have been some kind of virtuous women, but a closer look will reveal the truth. One is Tamar. She dressed as a prostitute, seduced her own father-in-law, and had an illegitimate baby. The next is Rahab the harlot, followed by Ruth the Moabitess. And then finally, we meet Bathsheba. She is the one who lived in adultery with King David. And what do you suppose Jesus is trying to tell us today on this Mother's Day? Just like the new things that you read in your bulletin, the, new, the bullet points that has to do with Ruth, Paul himself penned to paper 
a verse inspired by the Holy Spirit of something that is new for every single one of us here in this room today. And you'll see it up on the screen right now. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Paul said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all new things will come. The moment you recognize I'm giving my life to Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want religion. I want a relationship. I want to follow Jesus. The moment you enter into this union with Jesus and you just slowly and gradually begin to live for him to learn about him to follow him to experience him and you do that by when you read this and you pick it up and just give it five minutes a day five minutes you'll start to grow and you'll start to move you'll start to experience things you're going to start really experiencing things that only god himself can do why because god is going to want you to know this is all real this is how it works if any man be in christ a new creature this day makes everyone virtuous let's pray father we just want to come before you this morning and god we want to thank you for all that you have done mostly lord all that you are doing God, we just want to ask this morning that you would help us to reflect on what it means to have virtue. God, all of us in this room, we could say that we have an idea of what virtue is, but when we compare it against who you are and all that you have for us, we really come up short. But Jesus, your word tells us that when we go to the cross, when we pray, when we confess to you, who we are. We're a sinner. We're going to mess up every single time. And we decide to follow after you, to give you our life, to, to recognize that you're Lord and we want you to lead us in our lives. The moment we surrender that, God, we get virtue. Because the virtue we get, it's nothing that we've done or it's nothing that we're going to start doing. The Bible says we get you. And when you are in us, Lord, we have every single thing we will ever need to face anything that's going on in our lives. So there's a whole lot more than virtue. But God, this morning, we are, we're just asking that you would help us to capture the truth that is found in your word. Today, God, we pray that you would bless all of our, our wives and our mothers, all the ladies in this room. And we ask, God, that you would really work in their lives and help them to be more virtuous, more godly. God, that you would turn their hearts back to you. And God, as, as, as the leaders in this room, as guys, as we're supposed to be, Father, I pray and ask you to help us to really step it up. Because our wives need godly husbands to lead. And so, Lord, we just want to ask today, God, that you would speak to us and that you would look at our hearts and examine our hearts and help us, God, to agree with you the things that we need to just let go of so that we can see you move. In Jesus' name, amen.